Hey, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? A little different weather today than yesterday, right? Here we go. Here goes winter. So, um, hey, we're glad that you are here. Thanks for being in person with us today, and thanks to all of you that are online. Just real quick, if you're online, I think we're having a little technical difficulty there, so our team is working on that. We apologize for that this morning. Um, I do hope that you will join us next week. It's going to be a, a great weekend uh, as we support our community and do some good things here, so make sure that you are a part of that. Uh, we're going to put a picture up here on the screen. I guess it's a painting. You probably know this guy. This is Benjamin Franklin. Uh, his story goes that by the age of 10, he had finished school, which sounds pretty good, I'm sure, for, for many younger kids. Um, by the age of 12, he was apprenticing with his brother's print shop in Boston. And by the age of 16, he was contributing essays to local newspapers. And so he really built this passion for publishing and printing. By 1729, he became the owner and publisher of the Pennsylvania Gazette. Uh, at some point in time, he started something we probably kind of uh, remember about him, Poor Richard's Almanac. And so with the success that he had with publishing, it made him wealthy, and it also made him influential. So he started doing things within the city there. Civic matters became important to him. So he opened up libraries. He started Philadelphia's first fire department and police patrol. He organized Pennsylvania's militia. He raised money to build hospitals. He put this program together to pave and to light the city streets there in Philadelphia. And in his free time, he starts the school that ends up being the University of Pennsylvania, right? Well, in 1752 is what we really remember about him. This is where he did the, the famous kite experiment, which some people say he actually didn't do it. Someone else did it. They just read his paper. But whatever the case was, through that experiment, figured out that lightning was also electricity. Well, not only did he do all of these different things in his life, you add into that he was instrumental in shaping the United States of America. In 1776, along with four other people, they drafted the Declaration of Independence. In 1783, he helped negotiate the, and draft the Treaty of Paris, which ended the Revolutionary War. And while he was a delegate in the Constitutional, Constitutional Convention from Pennsylvania, he helped pass and ratify this new document known as the U.S. Constitution. So we can kind of look at his life, and they're missing a whole lot of things here. Franklin had a pretty amazing life. But there's one part of his life maybe you don't know as much about, and it was his, uh, his influence when it came to U.S. currency. He was actually responsible for designing the very first one-cent piece. Now, this coin was called the Fugio, and you see it up here on the screen. Now, for Franklin, he actually liked to tell stories, right? I mean, he published stuff and was a writer and essays and all that kind of thing and stuff. So, so we, we look at this, and we see... There's sort of a story that he's telling here. On the right, you see these chain links that are together. There's 13 of them. And in the middle, it says, we are one. The idea being here is this, this new nation that's getting started, and, and we're in this together. But then if you look at the other side here, you see this sundial. And I'm not sure if you can read this really well. It says, mind your business. That term, that phrase, mind your business, meant a lot to, to Franklin, and, and not the way that we think. For, for Benjamin Franklin, when it said, mind your business here, it was a driving force for who he was. And his point was, I want you to do everything you can to focus on your work. I mean, this was a positive connotation of this phrase here. I, I want you to work hard, and I want you to be successful at everything you do. 
And so if you, you look at this left side here, the theme really is that time, the sundial is flying by, so work hard. Mind your business. Now, when we hear that word, mind your business, you already laughed, right? Because we have this idea of what that phrase actually means. It doesn't mean to us what Franklin meant for it. When we say mind your business, we, we mean step back. Leave me alone. Get out of my way. You don't need to worry about me at all. Why don't you just mind your own business while I take care of mine? Today, as we continue this series called Change, we're going to talk about changing our minds. And like I said last week, and like Gary just said a few moments ago, this series is about money, all right? And I told you last week, I'm not going to tell you to give more money to the journey, okay? So if this is your first time here, don't sweat it. That's not what we're talking about. Maybe. We'll get to that later. But our discussion last week is about changing our perspective. We said, what if it happened if we changed our perspective on what we have, on the money we have? And so we, we talked about how it's important for us, if we're followers of Christ, to understand that everything we have, it's not ours. That everything we have are resources that are given to us by God. But this week we're talking about changing our minds. Because too often, when it comes to our stuff, when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to our resources specifically when it comes to our money, it's like we look at God and say, hey, God, mind your own business because this, what I have, this is mine. How do we change our mind when it comes to our money? And so we're going to spend our time this morning talking through this idea. But let's kind of start here, that our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts, okay? So, so whatever you and I are, are thinking about the most, that's going to come out in our daily lives. That, that's going to come out in our words. That's going to come out in our actions and in every aspect of life. And so, so often, our thoughts lead us and move us in, in a certain direction. But here's what that causes inside of our minds. In the 1980s, uh, Pat Benatar had a song, Love is a Battlefield. About three of you probably remember that. But... Um, but it's really what happens in our minds. Now, love's not a battlefield in our minds, but, but what is a battle for us is, is our minds. That there's this, this battlefield that is happening in, inside of us. And again, it kind of goes back to last week. We're trying to figure out, is this God's? Is this mine? Is it, is it partly God's? Is it, is it partly mine? And so there's this battle that wages deep inside of our minds as we, we try to wrestle with where we stand when it comes to what we have. And too often what we do is there's certain ways we should act. There's certain things we should think. But for us, we do the opposite. That's why I love what Paul writes in the book of Romans. In chapter 7, starting with verse 14, Paul writes these words. He says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. Paul writes these words uh, to the Christians that are there in Rome. They're meeting all these house churches. We talked about this a few weeks back. And there's a lot of political and religious unrest that we're finding uh, there in Rome. And a lot of this is, has come to be because of the Christians that are living there. And so Paul reminds them, like, hey, here, here's the deal. You need to be good earthly citizens. And the reason you need to be good earthly citizens 
is because you follow Jesus and you're actually a heavenly citizen too. And because of that, the way you live your life, it should be expressed in healthy ways. And you're not quite doing that, so you need to be an earthly citizen. But he talks about the law, and he talks about that a lot all throughout Romans. We're gonna, not going to go into much detail there, but maybe thinking what is the law. Um, for him, he's really specifically talking about the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. Like, hey, you should follow these laws. These are good for you. And he expands on that a little bit more, but we'll just kind of stay there. But Paul says, hey, th those commandments are there. Those laws are there. But then there's this human side to me that gives in. And I, and I mess up, and I don't always abide by the law. But I love what Paul says in this next section, starting with verse 15. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree with the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that doesn't. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. Now, this is my favorite part of this passage. Here's what he says. See if you can follow along. He says, I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It's sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Do you ever behave irrationally? Do you ever make decisions that you regret and you're kind of like, why? Why did I do that? I was doing so well and, and I knew what I was supposed to do, but, but I didn't do that. Uh, maybe for you, you're trying to get in shape and uh, you're trying to eat healthy, right? And uh, so, you know, eating healthy means you, you got to eat less sugar, maybe even cut back totally on your sugar, you know, eat more protein, eat less food. And, and so let's just kind of say you're doing a really good job. And, and you're like three days in and you are killing it. You're doing amazing work. On day four, you go to the office and someone has brought in freshly made cinnamon rolls. Not little tiny baby ones. We're talking about big grandma ones, right? And you walk in, you see that, and the first thing that comes to your mind is, get behind me, Satan. That's what we think. But sometimes Satan wins. And, and so you see that cinnamon roll there, and you're like, okay, I, I'm just going to have a little piece. So you cut it in half. You're that person. You cut it in half, and you take it back to your desk, and you eat it. And the whole time, you're like, oh, why am I doing this? You know, I, I, okay, I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. That, that was really good. That kind of fed my sweet tooth. No more. A couple hours later. You walk back into the room there where the food is, and there sitting on the counter is the other half to that cinnamon roll. And you cut it in such a way that the, 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 uh, uh, the syrup stuff on top is, is just leaking down. It looks like it's crying, right? And it's like, why did you leave me here all alone by myself? And you feel bad for it, so you take it and you just shove it in your mouth because you can't just let it sit there, right? And so in our minds, we're like, oh, no, I know what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. Or maybe it's financial. It could be that you've been working hard to get out of debt. You've got a plan in place. You've maybe taken our Financial Peace University course here at The Journey. And, and that first paycheck comes, and, man, you follow the, the budget that you have set up. That, that plan in place, you did everything. And you're like, man, I'm doing great with this. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to make this happen. 
But that second paycheck comes in, you're getting ready to pay your bills, you're getting ready to follow that plan, and, and you go on, online because you're going to do it online, and then this, this ad pops up, and it's something you've been looking for for a long time. It's been really hard to find. It's a PS5. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 console with headset. And again, you haven't been able to find this thing anywhere. Not only can, is it there and it's available to buy, but, but it's a little bit cheaper than what you've seen in other places. So what do you do? Well, your mind says, I know what I should do. But your mind also says, ah, what's it going to hurt? So we click and we buy it. I'm guessing this probably sounds familiar to us because the things we don't want to do, we do, and the things we want to do, we don't do. We, we act in irrational ways. Now, why does this happen? We've talked about this in our God of War series, uh, that it's hard for us to kind of break these habits that have been built over time in our thought patterns. We have built these neural pathways in our, in our brain, and, and these pathways, they've created patterns in us that have become our, our norm. Whether that's good for us, or like we know many, many times, it's bad for us. And what we've really done, we've kind of programmed our brains like we program computers. And so there are these pathways that are there, and, and we do what we shouldn't do, and we don't do what we should. This is true in every area of our life. But I think this is even more true when it comes to our money. The question is, what does your pathway look like? If you were to go inside your brain, what does your pathway look like inside of your head and your mind? Well, maybe you don't know, maybe you do, but if, if you don't, let me kind of help you out. I, I've got a little test, an exam that I want you to take this morning. Okay, it's pretty simple. It's just three questions. And it's really a spectrum here. Um, uh, it goes from one side to, to the other. It's called a thought audit. Um, and we did this uh, once before as we were kind of thinking about everything that we think about. But, but this one, I want, you to, I want you to put in this context of thinking about your money, okay? This is a thought audit on your money. We're going to put up here on the screen a couple of things, and we're going to walk through each one of this, these. Here's the first one. It's uh, worried versus peaceful, all right? Are you worried about money or are you peaceful when it comes to money? And one through ten there uh, just means you kind of rate yourself uh, along that spectrum that's there. All right, what's worried? Worried means you're worried about money. Do, do I have enough? You're worried about taking care of your family. You're worried about your job. You're worried you're not going to get um, you're not going to get a raise. You're worried about your finances. Is that where you find yourself, or do you find yourself in a place of peace? That no matter what you have. You feel secure in your life. Not, not because you're rich, but you feel secure because you have this trust and you have this, this peace that you find in God. So on, on that spectrum right there, from worried to peaceful, where do you kind of fit? And you can write this down, take a picture of it, what do you want to do? But here's the next one. We're, we're going to look at negative to positive. When you, you think uh, about money, are you negative about it? Which means are you critical of people who have more? Are you discontent with what you have? When you think about money and your money, do you have this sense of pessimism that just kind of pervades everything about you? Or are you positive that no matter how much you have, whether it's a little, a lot, somewhere in between, life is good. You're optimistic about the present. You're optimistic about the future. So for you, where would you fit between negative and positive when it comes to how you think about money? 
And then lastly, worldly to eternal. Worldly means our minds are consumed by this desire for more, that we can never have enough material possessions to the point that we just, we just try to be like everybody else or we even try to surpass them. Are, are you worldly when it comes to how you think about money? Or, or do you see money as this eternal difference? Like your, your life is worth so much more than, than the stuff that, that you have. Did you get the mission of Jesus in such a way that you see your resources, you see your money as a way to help more and more people take their next steps towards Jesus? And you live that out. For you, are you worldly or are you eternal? And you're thinking about money. As you kind of think about that, where would you fit in each one of these? Because wherever you circled, it's going to give you a pretty good idea of where your mind is when it comes to money. Are, are, are you worried and negative and worldly about it? Because if you are, it's going to come out in your conversations. It's going to come out in how you act. It's going to come out in your relationships and life. Or, or are you peaceful and positive and eternal? That, that you see that, that money is just something we've been given by God to be able to use in, in incredible and amazing ways. Is that how you see yourself there? Because that too is going to come out in what you say and, and what you do. All of us... Our, our minds are set in, in some ways. Where is your mind? Go back to Paul and what he wrote there in Romans. We know what we should be thinking. We know how we should use our resources. But like Paul talks about, that sin piece, that fleshly part in us likes to take charge. And for many of us, those neural pathways are so deeply rooted in us that it's going to take a miracle to change our thinking when it comes to money. Because the truth is, our money is holding us captive. A full-grown adult elephant weighs about 13,000 pounds. That's pretty big, right? Uh, but there are, I think, some, some incredibly beautiful and majestic animals. Sadly, sometimes they are taken from their herds and uh, basically kidnapped and, uh, and put in captivity. And when these younger elephants are, are taken, these ankle shackles are, are put on one of their legs and it's attached by this uh, metal chain which then is wrapped around a tree. And as you can imagine, this elephant's wild and it's trying to get free, it's trying to break free, so it does everything it can to break free from that, that chain that's there at the detriment of its leg. It doesn't even care. It's just trying to do anything it can to get away. At some point in time, though, the mind of that elephant is broken. And that elephant finally gives up and realizes that it's not going anywhere. This is the point where the kidnappers will then take those chains off, and they will take a rope, and they would tie a rope around the elephant's leg and tie it to the tree, a rope that this elephant could easily break free from, but its mind has been so set that it will not try to escape. Again, those neural pathways have been set. There's a term in psychology that's called cognitive distortion. And we see that that seems to be true of animals. I think it's also true of us. We believe things 
that aren't true, and it changes our minds in such a way that we're held captive to it. Maybe for you, you think the more stuff I have, the more successful I am. We are bombarded by images and by stories about successful people and their stuff. And so our brains begin to think that I need more stuff because the more stuff that I have, that means the more successful I am. But our stuff, it doesn't define or determine our success. But yet, this untruth has held us captive. And you and I are almost like we're imprisoned to that idea. Maybe for others of us, the more stuff I have, the more happy I'll be. Uh, one of the things that we like to do when we're trying to relieve stress is we'll go out and buy stuff, stuff we don't need, stuff that we, we can't afford. And we think, hey, if I just buy this stuff, it's going to make me happy. And you know what? It makes us happy for a short period of time. And, and then that emotion goes away. But you know what we're finding? We're still captive to that untruth. And maybe for others, it's I fear losing this stuff I do have. If this is you, you probably play the what if game. What if the stock market crashes? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I have to bankroll my kids until the day that I die, right? We're held captive by fear to the stuff that we have. And so if you think about that, are we really any different than those captured elephants? We are chained to our possessions. We are chained to our resources. We are chained to our stuff. And so we carry this fear and this worry and, and this anxiety. Carry it with us. We have become captive to our money. And, and maybe we try to break free. Maybe we think about breaking free. But man, when it comes to our money, it's so hard for us to change our minds because we are so wired to stay stuck to that tree. Can we change that? Can we break free from our money? How do we find that freedom? Well, first thing I want to do, let me kind of take us back to last week, because I know quite a few of you are like, are you not going to talk about what happened last week? <laughs> yes, we're going to talk about that right now. Um, I, I, just, I just told you a second ago that we, we talked about changing our perspective on our money. And you know, if you follow Jesus, we need to understand that every resource we have comes from, from God. Now, if you weren't here last week, we handed out $5 bills to everybody. Nice, not-so-crisp $5 bills to everybody that was in this room. And, and I asked you, I said, hey, use that money however you want to use it. If you want to save it, save it. If you want to spend it, spend it. If you want to give it away, that's you. If you want to keep it, great, wonderful. Do whatever you want to do with it. But I said, what we'd love for you to do is to come back this week or next week and bring that $5 bill back. And so as you walked in today, you probably saw the $5 bill return, you know, right real catchy name that we put on that, said to try to make it easy for everybody. And uh, we're like, hey, if you're here today and you brought that, you, you can put that in there. If you, if you brought more, you can put that in there too. Okay, now if you're new and this is your first Sunday, you're like, what happened here? Uh, last week, we handed out almost $1,500 in $5 bills to everybody that was here. And we said, take that money, right? Do what I just told you to do. If you want to bring more, bring more than that $1,500, okay? I'll get to that in a second. Again, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I want to tell you some stories that I heard, okay? And if you got more stories about this, I, I'd love to hear this. But uh, for instance, last week someone said they were sitting in their chair and um, they heard people talking behind them. And when we talked about handing out the $5 bills, they were like, oh, they're going to hand us play money, right? They're not going to give us real money. And then they got a $5 bill that was really like, wow, they actually gave us real, real money. So 
Yes, we were handing out real money last week. Uh, a few people told me about uh, some people they knew that were getting a little upset um, because when we started handing out the money, they thought it was, came out of the church's bank account. And they're like, I don't think this is an appropriate way to use the church's funds, right? And so maybe some of you, you felt like that went the way last week too. Um, others, I heard you had your kids asking you as you left, hey, mom and dad, how are we going to take our $5 and make more? See, sometimes we got to listen to kids more than we listen to ourselves, don't we? And so kids were saying, hey, how, how can we invest this? How can we make more out of this $5? Someone sent me a text last Sunday evening and said, hey, I took your $5 and I turned it into $40 on Sunday. I don't think I really want to know what they did, but hey, that's cool, right? <laughs> and whoever you are, can I just say thank you for doing that? By the way, can you text me back with your name? Because I saw that and we've texted before, but I didn't put your name in to where the number is, so... I don't know who you are. You can keep my five bucks, just turn it into $35, all right? So that would help me out when I put your name in there, and I apologize. But um, I know our, our neighborhood groups, it seemed like every single one talked about that. Families talked about that. Our family talked about that, of course. And, and if you're new today, here's why. The money that we handed out wasn't from the church. It was our family's money. Uh, that we gave a $5 bill to every single person out of our bank account. And the idea being, hey, does this change your perspective on this $5 bill when you know it's not from the church's bank account, but it's from, it's from mine? And so many of you are like, yeah, that totally changed my perspective on that money. But I think it did something else. I think it probably changed your mind. That when you heard that money came from my family, you thought to yourself, oh, this is a little bit different. I mean, how, how, how do I bring it back? Some of you were so worried. You just gave me the $5 back last Sunday. You're like, I can't, I don't know. I can't trust myself with that. I don't know what it was. But, but you were thinking to yourself, how do I bring this back? How do I invest this in such a way that more can come from this? Because we said if over $1,500 comes back, we're going to take that money. It's going to go to our grocery store buyout next, next weekend. Buy even more food for our community. That was easy. I mean, it's a measly five little dollars. It's different when it's the money that we have. It's different when it's our stuff. And so how do we begin to change the way that we think about our money? How can we be set free? How can we get away from being held captive by what we have? How can we break those chains that have us in bondage to our there's another letter that Paul writes. He writes it to a church in Philippi. And, um, man, it's, it's, uh, it's a great letter because he's just so positive in it. He, he's showing appreciation. Uh, he's showing affection towards this church. He's grateful to this church. And it's, it's really a, a very positive letter. And he, and he writes this in Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 8. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. 
We read those words right there, and it sounds like Paul is in a great place, right? Like he's having the time of his life. Like he's out on the beaches of, of Greece, lounging there on the, on the sand as he's writing this. Or, or maybe he's sitting at a cafe on the streets of Rome drinking a latte because it sounds like he's in a really, really good spot, a really good place mentally. Paul, when he writes this, is in a prison in Rome held captive. He's in this prison, and I don't know about you, but if I'm in prison, I'm probably not writing a whole lot of positive things, right? I'm probably not telling a group of people that I care for, hey, here's some positive good things you should think about. I'd be writing some pretty negative stuff. Here's Paul who writes these words to this church in Philippi, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about things that are good. I I want you to change your mind. Think think about things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise. Paul sits captive in this this prison, and and yet he he tells the Philippi church, change your mind. Change your mind. What if you and I began to think and focus on these things that Paul writes about here uh, are ourselves. How, how would that change our mind? I told you before, research shows that on any given day, we think, or the, what we think about, is about 77% of it is negative. So a little bit over three quarters of what you and I think about on any given day is negative. Now think about that. What, what does that do with those neural pathways that are there? It makes them stronger and stronger to think about things that are negative. Here is Paul, who is in prison, who is actually held captive, and he writes this list, and it's not negative at all. What if you and I began to focus on what Paul writes here in this this passage? What what if we began to, to think about these things in our own mind? I believe it would begin to rewire our brains. And in the end, it would fully change our minds, too. Now, now here Paul uses the word think in the passage, and and think means to ponder. It it means to to meditate. And he's like, meditate on this list. Now, if this is your first time here, you may be thinking to yourself, they're talking about changing your mind here at the journey. They're talking about meditation. This must be a New Age church, right? Next thing you know, they're going to tell us to get in circles, set cross-legged, and we're all just going to start humming, hmm, the whole time. We're not going to do that. That's not our next step for this morning. And, and can I just say, if that's kind of where your mind went, that probably means you haven't read a whole lot of Scripture. Because we find this theme of changing your mind all throughout the Bible. So it must have been important for us to learn. But the second thing I would say, that word meditation really means to engage in a mental exercise. It's all about focusing one's thoughts. We find that word a few times. We find it in the Psalms. Psalm 119.15 says, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Psalm 143.5 says, I meditate on all your works. Meditation means we are fully focused on what God is up to in our, our lives. And here's Paul who's saying, hey, meditate, think about these things, things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy praise. What does this look like for us? How do we do this? Well, I actually want to skip back up to verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray 
about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We can change our minds. And it begins by meditating on what Paul talks about here. Things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and excellent and admirable and worthy of praise. How do we do that? It comes through our prayer life. It's spending time in prayer especially when it comes to our money. Hey, hey, God, change my mind about my money. God, help me to stop telling you to mind your own business when it comes to what you've given me. God, help me to, to focus, to meditate, to think, to, to chew on what, what is true and honorable, what is right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and worthy of praise in my life. But, oh, God, more importantly, when it comes to my money. That's the prayer we need to pray on a consistent basis. Now, when do you do this? That's up to you. Maybe it's when you wake up in the morning. Maybe it's when you're driving the kids to school or you're stuck on 395 or you're on the metro or maybe it's when you go for a walk. Maybe it's right before you go bed, to bed. But, but it would change our minds. We spent time asking God to lead us in this. Because in the end, money is not going to make you or me happy. But here's what it will do. Money will hold us captive. And to break free from that captivity, it means we have to change the way we think about the money we have. And to break free from that, I truly believe it means we have to spend time praying to God to help us to break free from being in captivity to it. It's hard work. But with God on our side, by praying for God's help, I truly believe that you and I, we can change our minds.